Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the Colorado Hunting Hub Podcast, where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that will help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, hunt season's right around the corner. We gotta get ready. There's a lot of things that need to happen. We need to be shooting, we need to be getting some exercise. We need to be doing all those sorts of things. Myself, I've been slacking. I need to pick it up. Uh, my shooting's been all right. I'm fine with that. Uh, but everything else, I got to get things rolling. And right about that point where it's time to start picking certain days and getting those plans figured out of what days I'm going and what spots exactly I'm going to. So I can figure out work stuff, figure out all those sorts of things. So that's that's on the docket. Got to get, get rolling. And, uh, but we've got a good episode this, this, uh, go around with Michael King. He's the backpack winner, the on X hunt or something, huh? The XO mountain gear backpack winner. So he, he's, uh, actually went to a, a really awesome guy and glad it went to him. He needed a new pack, does a lot of hunting and that pack's not going to sit in the corner. So, uh, we had a great interview and chatting about taxidermy and, and what you need to do with your trophy in the field and making sure that it's ready to go to get to the taxidermist and you're going to end up with a, a beautiful mount on the wall. So he gave some really good advice and some things here to to help us out with that. But want to thank I, I Hunt Colorado's Facebook page. Check them out if you're not a member. Also, thanks to Onyx Hunt for donating some memberships make sure you click on the giveaway in the link below branded bills it's a hat company apparel company they've got a lot of custom 
hats and clothing that uh, are state specific. So you can get your state on a hat or a shirt. So use hunting code, use coupon code hunting hub 20 to get 20% off. Wilderness athlete gives us 25% off. That's a stellar deal. Use hunting hub for that. Thanks also to big Agnes for the, uh, support with camping gear we did an episode with them and we got a uh, got some gear coming to test out there so there thanks to them appreciate that if you need camping gear yet get a hold of them now because it's got to get to you in time victory archery and hoyt want to thank you guys for uh, helping with the traditional archery testing out that i'm going to be doing and then also if you're selling antlers anywhere in texas west texas to colorado to utah to nebraska kansas south dakota wyoming wherever uh, i buy in all those regions so get a hold of me but if you want to help out i mean that helps but another way to help out is to click subscribe give me a five-star rating i'd really appreciate that or give me uh email or a message to uh give me some input of what you want to hear or just some feedback it's always helpful and and uh, great to hear those sorts of things that that uh, uh, lets me know who who's appreciated what's going on if I'm doing it for the right reasons. So another thing is what you could do is uh, tell me who you are. Just uh, tell me you've been listening and who the heck are you? Are you a new hunter? Are you a old timer? Uh, like my old intro used to say. So I'd love to hear who the listeners are out there. If they uh, what what kind of experience you're at. So. Um, I'd appreciate those emails as well. Just reaching out and let me know. But here we go. We got animal field care with Michael King. This should be good uh, to, to kind of hear about what we got to do with our animals to be ready to bring them in and, and uh, preserve them for, for the long haul and enjoy them for a lifetime. All right. On this week's episode, we got Michael King from... Long Tab ter- Taxidermy in Monument, Colorado. Uh, I'll tell you how I found him here in just a minute, but but uh, Michael, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little about yourself, what you what you like to hunt. And I know you it's a long list, but let's go with uh, introduce yourself and and end with with kind of what's your favorite species to hunt or type of hunt or whatever. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on here, Clint. Um... Yeah, I'm Michael King, and uh, I spent 23 years in the military, and then uh, when I retired, I wanted to do something polar opposite of, you know, the Green Beret life I was doing, so, uh, and my love for animals, I'd grown up hunting since I was, you know, just a little tyke, and uh, so I got into taxidermy and went to school, and I've been doing it ever since. I... I thought about maybe that'd be kind of a cool uh, retirement thing for me, but I don't have the patience. <laughs> and I don't have the patience to, uh, to to try and learn it. And yeah, it's a it's a it's a work of art for sure to to create what you guys do. That's not my not my deal. I'll just keep bringing it bringing it to you guys. What uh, what's your favorite hunt? What you, what do you like to what do you like to chase the most? Oh, elk. Hands down, it's elk. That's my, my favorite critter to hunt. Uh, just You know, they're just so majestic out there in the wild that uh, uh, you just you just have to love them. I, I mean, everything from how they walk, you know, they can get those big old antlers through these trees and 
you know, at times be just silent, you know, slipping through trees with this huge rack on their head. Uh, you know, and of course the rut. I mean, who doesn't, yeah. who doesn't like the rut? Yep. Exactly. I, I found a big, like 310 bull shed hunting this year and I was packing that thing out and I was like, there's nothing, but I was not being quiet. I didn't, I don't, and I just, it runs through your head. Like how the heck do they get through these trees? It's, or, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm in complete agreement with you and if, and I've got listeners all over the country, so I don't know how many of them have hunted elk, but, uh, I would hope since they're listening to this, that someday it's a goal and there is nothing like watching them big black legs walking through the trees and all you see are the legs first or, you see the rack first and uh it's impressive to see 20 pounds of antler walking through <laughs> coming at you and uh or bugling i mean that's we're not even talking about bugling that's an, that's another whole another thing but definitely uh top of my list as well i'd agree with you so Micah, you won the exo mountain gear pack and one, I needed to bring you on because uh what you do for a living, but two, uh, I need a little proof to some of the some of the people that have been listening that I just didn't keep that pack for myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> you didn't. It, uh, I was I was definitely surprised and and I heard you say it in one of your other podcasts where you were having problems giving away stuff. And uh heck, I was almost one of them. I thought it was like spam email or something. Yeah. When I first looked at it, I'm like, yeah, right. I didn't win a backpack. What kind of, you know, spam silliness is this? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, I did apply for that. You know, I did put in for that drawing. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> so I can definitely see how, uh, you know, some folks are like, no, because I'm just not the guy. I don't usually get lucky like that. So, you know, uh, if you're one of those people out there, you got an email from Clint. <laughs> Call Clint because you did win something, you know. Maps, <laughs> you know. I know you'd mentioned that in the podcast. You're <laughs> catching havoc trying to give those away. Yeah, people are. Uh, I don't know, just not really believing that. that and I understand it. I I I delete a lot of junk email. Oh yeah, I mean, I probably get twenty emails a day that yeah. are just garbage. So yeah. you know, so, sending me a link. He's just telling me you won. Call him. <laughs> That's my advice right there. Yeah. And so you were saying you, you had a Slumberjack 2.0 that you had just bent the frame last year. Uh, and you were wanting to get a pack. And so the timeliness of this is perfect. And that was one of my hopes that this goes to somebody or it's not going to sit in the closet. Somebody's going to use it. Uh, that that was my goal and it sounds like you're going to use it what's uh on the menu this fall for for hunts i added two more hunts since the last time we spoke so oh my gosh oh yeah yeah that makes the wife real happy um so i have in colorado i have two elk hunts a mule deer hunt a bear hunt a mountain lion hunt and then in november i go to kansas for an archery whitetail finish that up and then I'll cruise on over to Missouri for a whitetail hunt. So this pack is about to just be abused this year. That's awesome. And don't, and don't forget like 
they're such a small company that if you need help with some of the adjustments and whatever else, the, uh, the fitting on there, just call them and talk to Mark, uh, or there's another guy or two that answers the phone, but they, uh, they're pretty helpful. I've sent them pictures of things, uh, on the pack and they've helped me walk through it and figure it out. Cause there's so many adjustments that it allows you to get the, the right fit and been uh, pretty impressed with it. It's, it's something that, yeah, I, it's the price tag on them kind of hits you for, a, for a little bit, but that was over a year ago when I dropped that, that amount on it. And it's, uh, I can't imagine having it, not having a decent pack. So well, yeah, that's you know, it. So far, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty impressed with the company because they keep sending me emails, um, you know, with YouTube links and they've told me that if I had questions, I could call them. Uh, I mean, everything from how to set your pack up, you know, once you have your kill down, how to, you know, the best ways to attach your antlers. I know a lot of guys struggle with that on how to, uh, you know, especially these internal frame packs uh, where you don't have a bunch of, you know, like the old fashioned aluminum rails and whatnot. Uh, you know, so it's just real neat how these guys are. They're super active on trying to make sure that you have the best knowledge and experience possible with their pack. Right. I mean, how, how do you beat that? The, the quality of service so far is just unreal. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, uh, animal care in the field. We got August coming around the corner, and by the time this hits, it'll be August. People hear it. Uh, and there's a couple of things that people need to be doing to, to prep. I mean, yeah, we're out shooting, we're buying gear, we're doing all that thing sort of stuff, but yeah, after you get something down, it's when the work begins and there's, there's, uh, a lot of things that have to happen to make sure it's being taken care of and yes, meat wise. And if that comes up great, but, uh, for, for dealing with what you deal with mostly the the taxidermy side of it what are some precautions we need to take with say the early season as we start hitting august and man in the high desert here in colorado we can be 90 degrees in the middle of the day so dealing with any of the anywhere from 30 degrees to 90 degrees and we've got a big bull down or a bear or something. What are some of these precautions that, that we need to take and how do we deal with that? Well, the first thing is, um, you know, you have hunters that already have a taxidermist. That's great. Uh, typically, they know they already know what to do because they're a taxidermist. They've spoke with them. Uh, but. Really, at this at, this is a critical point in time for uh, a lot of folks that don't have a taxidermist. You, you've spent time scouting and and all this hunt prep, and you don't have a taxidermist. And I will I will add that yeah. sometimes you don't really realize you need one. Yeah, because, and because... so you need to get out there and research the taxidermist uh, and talk to your taxidermist. Hey, if I get a critter down that I actually want to mount. Um, what in the world do I do? Here's the seasons I'm hunting. And, and the best thing is to take advice from that taxidermist in your area or wherever you plan on using. And I, and I get guys every year that give me a call. Hey, you know, I'm going antelope hunting and, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know if I'll get a good one that I want to mount. And so they'll, you know, I'll walk them through that. 
Um, but you know, getting to it's it's hot out there. Your field care, um, prepping your hide, and your field care of your hide is critical, especially if you're talking a goat. Um, that hollow hair fiber, I mean, it can just lose hair quickly, and so. Um, you know, make sure there's a ton of videos out there. Some are good, some are bad. So call your taxidermist and see if they have one that they prefer you watch or they just want to talk you through. Like I have a couple videos on my website. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of a walkthrough. You can watch that video as many times as you want and then, uh, call up if you have questions or what have you. But, um, you know, when you get that critter down, you get them caped out, you've got to get that thing cooled off quickly. And where a lot of guys go go south is when they're they're skinning it out, they're so afraid that they're gonna that they're gonna uh make a hole in the hide, they leave just pounds of meat on these on these animals. I've had elk come in with twenty plus pounds of meat on the hide. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, hey, that's just introducing bacteria. You know, there's a little saying when the blood stops flowing, the bacteria starts growing. And so you you need to be mindful of that. You can just take your time and get that those big chunks of meat off there. That'll help you out tremendously, you know, because that meat's just going to absorb heat and it's just going to start growing bacteria. Well, let's let's Um, start with, with this. We got an antelope down what mm-hmm. are the uh and it's 75 80 degrees out what's the uh let's start with the cuts like what's your what's your preferred method uh and i know it's not it's it's all done by audio but uh a lot of the listeners are hunters and they understand right. and but kind of what's what's your the preferred method for for those initial cuts well, for me, I want uh, way more cape than we can possibly use. Um, and the reason I like that is every year I get guys that come in and their, their cape's a little too short. Now we're buying cape. So when I, I tell you know folks, well, hey, when you get one down, your first cut, I call it your circumference cut. You're going to go all the way around where that last rib is closest to your rear, you know, your, your stomach. That very last rib, cut all the way around there your circumference cut, and then you're going to cut straight up the spine into the middle of the, about the middle point of the ears, where you'll Y off to each horn. Uh, then you're going to cut around the front legs, right around the elbow joint. Just cut around there. And uh, it's a little trickier with a, a horned animal when you're uh, caping them out, because you need to you know, at an antelope, you need to go and push all that hair down past where his horn's at, and you need to follow the pattern of the horn. And it's not just a straight straight cut. It's You're going to have a little bit of ups and downs depending on how that horn flows, and then you can finish cutting um, from where you wide off. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, so you're 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 kind of walking us through how to actually, like, cape it, like skin the head and everything. Yeah. Oh gosh, I mean, yeah. that's that freaks me out a little bit. Just because I've never, I mean, I've I've trapped a lot and skinned a lot of heads out, but the one thing that makes me nervous is skinning around those those horns or antlers. That 
because I've seen people with screwdriver taxidermists with screwdrivers popping those off around and like, oh man, I feel like I'd I'd uh, leave that. Do you do you prefer people to come in that way or just cut it off at the base of the head? Well, if oh, there's there's a few things that depend. Number one is uh, how fast can you get it to me? If you're gonna leave the head for me, you know. So if you're not comfortable doing the head. Um, when you cape all the way up and you skin up to where the, uh, the C1 is and you cut that head off, you need to be getting that, that critter to me quickly. Uh, cause you know, you're not going to more than likely a lot of guys antelope, maybe not as bad cause you can get them in coolers, <clears throat> but deer and elk, you know, their antlers are so darn big. You're not gonna be able to really stick it in a cooler. So you need to be making that trip into me so I can get him, you know, finish caping him out and uh, get him under salt. Uh, but if, you know, if you've got some, there's some places, uh, depending on where you're at in Colorado, you've got some places that have walk-in freezers and they'll let you put your animal in there. You know, so if you can find something like that, then it's not as critical because you'll get that hide frozen. And, uh, you know, you pay whatever they, whatever they charge service fee to let you, uh, hang your, hang your hide in there. But these days with the, uh, FDA, they're having hide inside of a, a meat processing freezer is a, that's kind of a no, no with those guys. So, um, yeah, I'd be introducing a lot of bacteria to their, their system. Yeah. When we're on down where uh, I go, uh, you're not allowed to have any hair. That all has to stay outside of the shop. So, uh, but that's because they do domestic and wild game. So they have two different coolers, and they can't be introducing certain bacterias. Mm. Um, you know, so yeah, if, if you're a little nervous about that, um, you know, one of the things I like to tell guys is watch the video. I walk, you know, I walk them through how to cape out a face, and then go do some predator hunts. You know, <clears throat> get some coyotes and practice caping them out. No, they don't have horns or antlers, but you can practice cutting proper lip skin, getting those eyelids, you know, removing the nose without cutting it to pieces. You can practice all that on a coyote. Yeah. Well, and you're saving fawns and calves at the same time. So, you know, you, you get practice in the off season by doing that stuff. Yeah, I can I can always tell my first raccoon versus my last one of the season. That, uh, I get really good at fleshing at the end. I'm gonna do it ten times quicker. <laughs> but, oh yeah, you know, and and that'll help you out if you're you know if you're doing uh, when I get new guys in here or gals that aren't overly comfortable with caping, then uh, I tell them, hey, get out there and practice on coyotes. You know, I was like, that that's where you make your mistakes. And then when you flash forward to, say, August, when it's 90 degrees outside, uh, you're going to be so much quicker at keeping that animal out. Right. Yeah. You know, I tell folks, hey, keep it out first, gut it out last. Your meat will be okay. I promise you, you're not going to have a problem. It doesn't take that long. And that way you're preserving, you're helping preserve this cape with as few cuts as humanly possible uh, to get it to me. And uh, cause that, that's kind of a big thing. So we got the thing caped. Uh, 
if if we're antelope hunting, we got a cooler right there. Great, whatever. Uh, we can get it get it on ice, in ice, uh, and because uh, now we're adding <clears throat> moisture. So yeah, ice is your absolute last thing you want to do. Um, so best case scenario, you can go to uh, you know any one of your appliance stores, and you can get one of those little five cubic foot freezers. Film freezer. If you have a generator, that's the best thing you're going to be able to do. You plug that, plug that freezer in. That little teeny deep freeze. Life is good. You haven't included any moisture. Um, but you know, even though I have one, sometimes I'll do you know a two three day hunt. I don't want to pack that thing in. So I have a an ice chest that I bought, a cooler, and I line the bottom with uh, insulation that I've wrapped in, you know, painter's tarp, that painter's plastic, all the way to the animal down there, you know, the hide, and then I'll put cardboard on it, and I'll put dry ice on it. And then another layer of insulation, and then close the lid, and uh, that'll actually freeze your cape. I've had capes in, you know, 80-degree weather get frozen doing it that way, and that way I'm not introducing any form of water you know, if if you have to do the ice thing, my suggestion is go get some milk jugs or two liter bottles or what have you, and uh, fill them up with water and freeze them. That way, when they do thaw, you don't have water being introduced into your cape. Yeah, because like you said, that bacteria being introduced—it's all about bacteria with that untanned cape. And uh, you do not want to introduce bacteria if you can help it, because that's that's how you start to get slippage and you know nobody wants that hair to be falling out so another scenario we're in a little deeper and we have to we've got you know three four miles that that we're coming out with and is it beneficial to just roll that thing up or get it spread out right away uh, while we're we're processing the rest of the animal and get it in some shade, what's what's a good technique there? So what I like to do in the backcountry, because I like to go out in that backcountry, so um, the first thing I'll do, cape them out, and then if I can find a bush or, you know, then I'll drape it over the bush. Uh, if not, I'll just lay it out in the shadiest place I can find while I process the animal and bag them up. And... Uh, you know, in Colorado, you got to hunt or you got to pack out all your meat first before you pack out your trophy items like your antlers and hide. So, you know, if you can drape them over something, that's great. Uh, you're trying to get airflow to it and cool it off. And then when I come back and I finally get the cape, uh, what I like to do, because I always carry, you know, a nice tarp. Uh, you can get a cheap tarp from Harbor Freight or you can even take painter's plastic and lay it out out there on the ground and that just helps keep some of the you know the dirt and all that stuff off your meat and whatnot well lay it on there and then i'll put hide to hide or you know hair to hair and i'll roll it up and put it in a game bag and then pack it out and once i get you know back to the the camper or camp or wherever we're at i'll undo it all and i'll start you know hey i got a little bit too much meat on here let me cut some of that off and uh, start taking care of it. That's a that's a good thing to point out, hair to hair, because in the trapping world, 
I want that skin to skin and everything covered up and uh, in the freezer that way versus here, we got to make sure that skin's exposed for that, that amount of time so that it's cooling off. That's, it's, it's a little reverse thinking for me, but it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and and I, that, that's what you're going to try and preserve is that hair. So like I carry five game bags when I go to the field. Four for me, one for hide. Uh, but some guys don't, and they'll end up packing that hide. You know, they'll strap it to the outside of their backpack, which is fine. But if your hair's sticking out and you turn around, you're catching bushes or you slip and fall, you're potentially ripping hair out of your hide. So when you go hair to hair and you roll it up, you'll have nothing but raw, raw uh, hide sticking out. You know, you'll have that fleshy part sticking out. You're not going to repair, and if you fall, it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, but if you're ripping out chunks of hair on the way back, depending on the terrain you're in, you know, last year in Wyoming, there was a boatload of buckbrush, and it was catching on everything. You know, so if I'd have had my hair exposed, I most certainly would have been ripping hair out of that elk hide. Huh, that's interesting. So I try to just, I, I want to save that hair. Yeah. So, uh, what are some of the tools of the trade that, that hunters that are not tools of the trade, but tools that the hunters are going to be that are helpful and not helpful. I mean, we got everything from axes, saws to replacement blade knives, to old buck knives, to big, huge things, to small little knives. What, what do you see work best? Um, or worse. <laughs> well, I can definitely tell you what doesn't work well. <laughs> yeah, and, that's good. Uh, you know, last year I had a couple guys come in and they had t- literally taken hatchets and they were trying to, with a rock, and they're just banging it right on up the brisket to open this thing up. And so now I've got little hatchet marks that go off to the left and the right at the brisket. That's a whole lot of repairs that just don't need to happen. Um, I've had guys use uh, Wyoming bone saws and just rip just massive chunks of hair out of that hide. Uh, so those right there, that's those are big, you know, no goes in my mind because uh, it's going to damage that hide up. And while tax as a taxidermist, yes, we can fix a lot of stuff. You got to keep in mind that the more things we have to fix, the higher the chance of your animal not being a competitive show quality. Uh, you know, and that that's what we're all going for. Uh, as an artist, you, you want this thing to look alive and be, you know, a show quality animal. And so all those hack jobs with axes and, you know, bone saws and stuff on your hide, it really is really terrible. So <clears throat> as far as knives, Really, it's what you're the most comfortable with. If you've got that old buck knife and it's sharp, and uh, you know you can make precision cuts with that, you know, fine, go ahead and do it. Um, I carry um, one of those changeable blade knives, and uh, <clears throat> the Havilon Piranha, I think it is, and uh, but I also have. I carry a scalpel handle with me that takes the exact same blade. So I'm cutting down on weight 
and I can carry, you know, 10, 15 blades if I want to, and it's like an ounce, you know. Yeah. So if my blade's getting, uh, <clears throat> if it's getting dull, I just rip it off, put a new one on, and go right back to cutting. And I'm able to choke up or down on that blade and and just slice right through the hide and make nice precision clean cuts uh and that's going to help me out later on when i go ahead and stitch them back up i'm not having to repair you know a whole bunch of hack marks i tell guys if you can you know never cut down towards a hair because you're going to cut hair in half but once you make that circumference cut, if you go from the, the bottom side of the hide and you have your blade, the sharp end of your blade up, as you're going through there, you, you're going to damage far less hair that way than you would if you were trying to cut down. Cutting down, you're going you're gonna to trim hair. He's going to have like a little line of where he had a haircut. And then I'm going to have to trim that off of there. Because uh, otherwise you're going to have like this crazy little patch where I sew them up that <laughs> he had a haircut just right there. And that's not yeah. good. So I have to trim that. And... That's, I, I don't always think about that part. I think about dulling my knife, but because when you're cutting the hair from the outside, you dull it a lot quicker, but I don't think of the, didn't think of that trimming those hairs along the way. That's, that's a good tip. Yeah, and you can see, like, if you watch the uh, the video on keeping an antlered animal on my website, I, I pointed out, I'm like, yeah, I went all the way from the circumference cut up to his, his right around his, his ears, I think, is when I pulled the knife out and was like, that's it. That's all the hair we've pulled. There's maybe like a dozen hairs. That's pretty darn good on an elk. Uh, you know, so you're not, you're really not doing damage like, you know, when you when you do it like that as opposed to the opposite side where I just saw a picture on I hunt Colorado that a guy posted where he was cutting down towards a hair and it just made me cringe. I'm like, Oh my goodness, you're going to cut all the hair right at the pedicles. That's going to see it. And I do, I do carry a, uh, a screwdriver. Uh, when I get to the pedicles of a deer and elk, you know, once I cut all the way up through that, through that hide to the burr, I take a uh, flat tip screwdriver and I'll work it right against that bone. And that helps pry that hide off. And you can pull that, you can pull the hide right there at the pedicle and the burr. You can pull that off and have it complete versus some guys. And this is where guys with like buck knives or, you know, uh, Gerbers or whatever, um, you can kind of tell how they did it when they bring their animal in. And that spot right where the pedicle joins with the burr should be nice and smooth. And you'll just see cut after cut, like little teeny cuts. And they're, oh, okay, you did that with a knife. Yeah. Uh, you know, so just carrying a little flat tip screwdriver, dull as can be. Don't, don't sharpen it up. Some guys will sharpen them up on a, you know, grinder or what have you, but just nice and dull. And that way you're just, all you're doing is you're just wedging it across. And uh, just kind of working it up and down. And you might have to, you know, cut some, uh, use your knife a little bit if you if it's uh, sticking. But it, it really reduces the chance of you messing up the hide where those pedicles are and uh, popping holes through there. 
One thing that opened my eyes to the amount of material that's needed to complete the work you do is I watched a friend taxidermist of mine. We, I caught a albino raccoon and wanted to, I've actually caught three of them now, but there's just this little pocket of them in this town I live in. And I've heard of, you ask every other kid and they've heard or seen of this, of families, albino raccoons. They got just the genetics in the area. It's kind of weird, but they, uh, I had her, her help me and I wanted to skin the whole thing out. And I was amazed at looking at the detail we needed in the lips and fleshing those lips out and the, and the eyes and how much you actually need there. Can you touch on, uh, we get past those pedicles of what, what do we need to watch out for eyes, nose and lips? Well, I like to get, uh, as much earbud as possible when I'm doing it. Um, so, you know, once you make that Y off, cut down on the side of the head. Go ahead and nick that bone. That's fine. Get me as much earbud. And then as we go forward to the eyes, as you start to get close to the orbital socket, um, what I like to tell guys to do, and it's kind of a foolproof way to do it. I've never seen anybody mess it up. Is uh, once you get that hide close to that orbital, I'll take my middle finger and I'll jam it inside the e- or the eye as far as I can go. And then I'll just bunch up the hide in my hand and I'm pulling. It's going to do a couple things. One, I'm going to automatically slow down because nobody wants to be in the field and slice your finger wide open because uh, you're about to have a blade going at it. But on the inside of your finger is going to be the eyelid. So as long as I keep my blade on the outside of my finger, then I'm not going to cut any eyelid. And I'm going to have... And the more you cut, the farther you can get your finger in there. And uh, if you do it that way, I'm I'm always going to have plenty of eyelid. I'll end up cutting off a half inch of eyelid by the time it's done, uh, or that extra material that's you know close to that eyelid. Um, and you just take it nice and slow, and you kind of got to work back and forth, you know, around your orbital as you're as you're pulling. And then, as you know, that you've got a pretty decent amount, about a half inch worth. You can kind of see the eyeball, and you can just make a nice little slice right there. And once you make that slice, then you're going to physically be able to see in there where the eyelid and the tear duct and all that's at. And you can just work your knife on the inside of that that orbital socket, and I'll have a truckload of eye. I mean, it's I'll have way more eye than what I could possibly use, and that's perfect. It's exactly what you want. Um, where some guys go wrong at that point, and this is where I like those those uh, razor blade knives. Yeah. Once you get to the very inside where that tear duct is, <clears throat> you're going to start getting into the lacrimal gland on a deer or an elk where it goes in. And uh, right as you get to where that tear duct is, it's going to like go in towards the, towards the skull. And you're going to have little connection points, ligaments, that you need to cut through with that knife, but I'll actually go back to my screwdriver and just slowly, and I'll pop out that lacrimal gland without making any cuts. If you cut it, it's not that big of a deal, but you know, once again, uh, if you don't make a cut into it, that's one less thing we have to fix. Uh, You'll get some guys that just flat out just cut straight through the lacrimal gland and leave you nothing. And 
you know, so when you're mounting, say, a beetling Pozel, their lacrimal gland is going to be opened, opened up more. Well, now you're going to really see it if I have to utilize epoxy to, uh, to make you a new lacrimal gland. Huh. So try and get all that out of there. Um, and that's, that's where that flat tip screwdriver really helps because you can, you can just kind of work it in there and pop it out. And it's 100% complete when that lacrimal gland goes. And that's but, probably uh, not uh, that's not a common thing, I bet, on guys' gear lists. It's not on my list, but <laughs> I, may, I may consider doing that now just if if I can feel comfortable with, with popping that off because where I'm headed elk hunting, man, if I can cut oh, 15 pounds of a head, 20 pounds of a head, that uh, that's a game changer. Oh, yeah, and that's one of the benefits to being able to keep them out completely is – once I've got his his cape completely off of his head, I can drop that lower mandible. I'm not packing that out. Yep. You know, that's one less thing. Then I debone the meat. I drop all those pounds, and I'm only bringing out the things that I really have to have. Yeah. So, and if you're and if you're planning on going back and hunting a bear over that kill, well, if you're doing it all right there, that's just a little more, a little bit more meat for that bear to come in and try and get to. Um. You know, as long as you're following the rules by Colorado and not trying to move a carcass around, that'll get you in trouble. That's baiting at that point. Yep. But, um, you know, if you're dropping the lower mandible and you just throw on the gut pile, then you're you're fine if you're right there. So when we get to, <laughs> yeah, when we get to the nose and the mouth, what, uh, anything specific or it's probably similar to the, the eyes or? So when I when I go forward uh, towards the nose, once I get past the eyes and the lacrimal gland, then I kind of work backwards on it. So with the bottom jaw, you know, your deer, your elk, animal, they all have that uh, on their uh, their upper gum line. They don't have, you know, because they're grass eaters, they don't have teeth up there. So when you look at that upper, you got about about a quarter inch, and you can see a little bit of a difference. Uh, and color tone on that top pad where it kind of changes color a little bit. We're talking eighth to a quarter inch tops. I make my cut all the way around there with that knife. And then at the bottom, what I'll do, because you're going to have to work top and bottom until you can kind of spread the mouth open wide enough. Um, And then the bottom, I go just about an eighth of an inch below the, the teeth. And I cut right there along that jaw. I mean, you do that to the top and the bottom, then it kind of opens it up a little bit more. And I can get a finger in there, and I'll hit that jawline right below the teeth on the bottom. And that's that's saving me tons of lip skin. You know, if I'm doing a uh, open mouth bugle or a Fleming response pose for a deer, uh, I need a lot of lip skin. And so, you know, if you follow that jawline right there, where the teeth are and then on the top you know you can just kind of keep going with that same line and you'll end up at the those top molars just above those top molars and just cut it all the way back you're gonna end up having plenty plenty of lip skin i'll end up trimming it off and that's perfect it's exactly what you want uh, when it comes to the nose when you look at your skull you know it's it's a bunch of cartilage in there and you can just follow the line of it that skull it makes you know about a 45 degree angle 
just follow that out. And you can cut that cartilage and just follow that bone all the way up until you get to the very top. And then you cut through that cartilage and you should you should never cut through the nose if you just follow the bone. It's it's like these animals came with directions. Uh-huh. You know, when you really start doing them enough, uh it's like they, they come with directions almost. Yeah. So uh that that actually makes me wanna kind of try that. Because I, I feel proficient with my skinning, so it, it, I that's my next move probably is doing a full cape job. Uh, yeah, what, just go get a couple coyotes and uh, practice on them. That way, if you mess it up, you're like, eh, not that big of a deal, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't coyote. Then your your trophy animal that you plan on getting mounted. Yeah, because I don't spend that much time on those heads. Once I get passed down to the neck on a coyote, it's like, boom, I'm done. Get it. Get it around the ears, get the eye, just a little bit of the eyes. I'm not worried about a tear duct because the fur trade don't care about tear yeah. ducts. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah that, I just haven't haven't done that. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll mess around with that. Um, is there any uh, species specific things uh, that we need to be focused on, like uh, that or be aware of? So I don't know, probably bears are one of those. Well, it's um, depending on what you're you're hunting, uh, that depends on how you're going to cape it out. You know, if you're just doing a shoulder mount for a deer, an elk, you know, just like we've discussed, you're going to be good to go. Uh, but like with your bear, um, depending on what you plan on doing with that bear, that determines your cuts. If you're looking to make a bear rug, when you go to cut your belly cut and then your arms and leg, you know, your legs, you want to be smack dab in the middle, right down in the middle. Because when they when we splay them out to make a rug, we don't want more hide on the left than the right because then he looks awkward. Everything needs to be symmetrical. And that goes the same with the legs. But if you're going to do a life-size mount, then I typically have guys cut in a little bit different places on the back of the uh, back of the leg. That way, you know, because your bear is going to be facing you, right? And so I'm following hair patterns at that point because that that'll help me hide sutures better. So it's a different different series of cuts depending on what you want to have happen. And uh, that's why, especially with bears, I tell guys, hey, come on in, let me show you right where to cut so that when you get that bear down if you say nah i'm gonna rug them okay that's this cut or hey this thing is pretty enough i think i want to go ahead and uh life size this guy then you'll know where to make that cut as well because it's two totally different cuts and if you cut you know for a life size and then bring them into me and say hey uh, i want to rug them I have to stitch this thing back up and recut them, and there's a chance that when he's hanging on the wall, you're going to see a stitch line. We don't want to have to do that because um, the goal is to make it as beautiful and seamless as possible, and you don't want to see a whole bunch of sutures and have people looking at your rug saying, "What happened there?" Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, so what uh, what are some common issues you see besides the hack job with a hatchet and the wyoming <laughs> but what are what are some of those common common things that 
the and I'm and I want to speak to not the new hunters, it's the above average hunters, the guys that are out in the field doing multiple seasons. What are they screwing up on? A lot of guys. Um more often than not, it's my seasoned hunters that uh come to me, you know, they're they're new clients to me and I don't get enough cape. They're like, oh, I've been doing this for thirty years. That's great, but taxidermy's changed in 30 years the mannequins have gotten bigger and i'm missing two inches of hide you know you're you don't have enough hide that that's a huge huge thing to, and it's it's horrible to have to tell a guy you know or some gal you know hey you did this wrong we're not going to have enough hide so either i gotta root through my spare hide pile and uh try and find hair that matches yours that I can add to your hide or you're buying a new cape and capes are not cheap. The bigger the animal you have, the more money it's going to cost, you know? So that's, that's probably the number one thing I see. And it's not even from my, my new guys. Um, they're usually more paranoid. So they'll bring in the whole darn animal. I didn't know what to do. And that's, <laughs> yep. you know, I would rather that than, you know, a guy or gal that comes in, I've been doing this for 30 years and I put four fingers behind his shoulder and that's good enough. Sorry, bud. You're a little short. Yeah. You know, that's typically my seasoned guys that do that. Or they didn't do field care well enough. You know, oh, I hung over a tree. Yeah, it's 90 degrees outside, bud. <laughs> that, that's fine if you do that at the kill site. But once you're back at camp, you need to get that thing frozen. Or like some of my guys that will call me from the field and they're like, Hey, I'm on my way. Okay. You know, I can, I can have everything ready. So when you get here, it's straight into the freezer. It goes as soon as we check it in to get it cooled down and then I'll pull it back out and start working on it. But not cooling those hides down. You're, you're taking a risk. And uh, to me, it's just kind of unnecessary. I like the I like the dry ice trick. Uh, I haven't done that, but this might be the year I just go buy a little dry ice. I yeah, kind of like that. I bought a cheap cooler from I think like Walmart or whatever, one of those hundred and twenty quart coolers. And then I went to Home Depot and got R fifteen insulation, and then lined it with that. Uh, I think it's three point five mil paper plastic. Yeah, so if I get blood on it, I just take the plastic off, put new plastic on, and I'm good. And, uh, yeah, then I spread that hide out as best I can in that cooler, put some cardboard on there, on the hide, and then the dry ice on top of that. Uh, that way I'm not, you know, burning my cape, because that dry ice will burn your freezer, burn your cape if it's direct contact. Then another layer of that insulation, and I've, I've had... September elk hunts where my hide ended up being frozen. And so it, it works pretty well. You don't have to go buy a $800 Yeti cooler to do it. Yeah. So lately I've been seeing a couple of unique mounts and things over the last few years. I mean, shoulder, <laughs> shoulder mounts have been happening for a long time, but uh, what what's maybe some unique ways that you've been having fun preserving folks hunts there anything kind of that stuck out that you really liked and would like to do again 
uh, you know, it's it's uh, those types of projects are kind of fun. Uh, one of my clients, he came in with an old pack, um, wooden like pack saddle. You know, you put your your saddlebags that wooden has like an yeah. X on it. Yeah. And uh, so I uh, did his elk up, and we put it on that pack saddle. Had to modify it a little bit, but we got it taken care of. And now he's got it. Uh, he's got it hanging on um, a saddle carrier. You know, the wooden saddle carriers when you have saddles and you just put it on yep. to hold your saddle. He's got it on there, but he's got his elk on there. And uh, that was pretty neat. I had another guy come in that um, he was going to get just a normal shoulder mount, and then CPW called and said, "Hey, your uh, your deer has chronic wasting disease. You got to throw it out." And he called me up and said, "Hey, I want to make my deer rabbit." He's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like, I tried to talk him out of it. I was like, "Are you serious?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I want teeth and this." And I was like, "Let me just." let you think about it for a few months, you know, while your cape's being tanned. I go back and he's like, nope, I'm out of it. That's how I want it to be done. My day was crazy. I didn't get to eat any of it. So we did it up. You know, put wolf teeth in his mouth and gave me albino red eyes. And it was definitely unique, but he loves it. Him and his wife, they're like, oh my gosh, we love our crazy deer. You know, and I got... You know, somebody shared the picture on social media and like 35,000 hits later or shares or whatever it was. You know, you had some guys that were upset and other guys that were like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And, you, you know, you're never going to make everybody happy. The biggest thing is, is the client happy with what you did? Yeah. That thing to death. I mean, he's just like, I love this crazy looking thing. All right, pal. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, I, there's that that folks want to buy or get, and you know, for whatever reason, they like the jackalope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that picture going around with the the deer licking its the shot. Uh, yeah, it's, and that's not for me, but <laughs> people are getting kind of unique, or the the mounts on the backpack, or whatever. But uh, any yeah. other kind of fun poses that that uh have been coming out because i'll tell you there's one if i get a big elk and i got the right house for it someday uh there's there's more of a upright elk that's kind of a pedestal it shows more of the shoulder that i've just fallen in love with i just i think it just shows that bull just look big and mean I don't know what it is, but there's just been a few more poses that, that have really struck me. Like I like that a lot. So oh, what yeah, there's there's no end to what you can do with uh taxidermy. I mean, it's not like it was, you know, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago. I mean, the forms are insane. You can get as much detail as you want, you know, doing shoulder offsets. I like to do, I like to give us give folks as much animal as I can. Uh, you know, so when I can do a shoulder offset where you have a little bit more of that shoulder meat out there, uh, it's a little bit bigger, uh, you know, you, you pay good money for taxidermy and, uh, you get more often than not, you get what you pay for. So, you know, the, the amount that I charge folks, I try to give them as much animal as I can possibly give them. Um, I do kind of like that, the half-life sizes, cause you can throw a little habitat in there and, 
you know, I like to tell folks, hey, take pictures of wherever you got your critter. Um, and then if you want to do a habitat, pick up some material from around there and we'll incorporate that with your actual habitat um, to kind of personalize it a little bit more. You know, custom make that that habitat versus just buying something from, you know, McKenzie's or Research Mannequin or some some pre-done up habitat. You know, I like to try and get creative with it and make it a little bit more personalized to that hunt, that experience, and you know, because that's it's going to be on your wall forever. I mean, your great grandkids will be fighting over who gets you know mounts. Right. So, yeah. Well, I, but, I think that uh, wraps up quite a bit. I, I got a couple things there, definitely a, a few things there out of that that uh, are good for me getting ready for the season here. So I'll uh, I'll look into I'll watch that video you got of, of caping it out. And uh, even though I've skinned a hun- hundreds of animals and different things, I just have never done a full cape. I'd still want to be prepared and, and not think I know it all going in. So I'll check that all out. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing, sharing all that. What, uh, as we sign off here, what, where can people get a hold of you and how do we, how do they give us your website and maybe contact info? How do they, if you want to, if you're in the monument area. Yeah. And you can go to uh long tab taxidermy.com and, uh, that's my website right there. You can Google me up. Uh, I'm on Google, you know, or you can call me at uh, 719-220-0380. And that goes, that's, that's my cell phone. So that, that's always with me, even in the woods. So, uh, you know, you can text me from the woods and let me know you got a critter down. And every now and again, we'll have to walk a guy through something while he's in the woods. So don't hesitate. You know, give me a call, and uh, the biggest thing I tell folks is, if you don't have a taxidermist, you need to start researching that. Don't don't get yourself in a panic because a lot of these stories that you hear about bad taxidermy, when you really break it down, it was because they had an animal down and didn't already have a taxidermist in mind, and they hit the panic button and just went to the first person they saw, and uh, you know it's. You got a 50-50 shot at that point of it turning out well or bad, you know, if you didn't have an opportunity to research who you wanted. and Take a look at what they do, you know, have them talk you through the process. And uh, so get comfortable with that. Go visit as many as you can. Even if you don't think you're going to mount an animal, at least have somebody that if for some reason you get that animal and you're like, oh, it has to be mounted. Now you know what to do and where to go. Right. Yeah. I've got two different taxidermists just because uh, I want, I know the guys in South Dakota do a lot of pheasants and a lot of ducks. And I know the guys out here do a lot of cats and I wouldn't take a, a cat to my South Dakota taxidermist, but I'd take a, and I wouldn't take a duck or a pheasant to my Colorado taxidermist. I'm sure they can do them and everything. Uh, that's just been my, my one thing is, is in my research and looking for the guy that, that I want to work with is he's really good at cats. He's really good at this. And I want to, and develop that relationship with the guys. Oh yeah. You know, it's, um, uh, I stopped doing birds, uh, do everything else, but 
you know, I just I stopped having fun with them. And yeah. when it's no longer fun for you, you probably shouldn't do it. And so, uh, yeah, you got to go in and talk to a taxidermist and find out what they're good at. And you should, they should have animals on display so you can see what they actually do. And yeah, you, you know, if, if you get a taxidermist that's great at cats, but not so sporty at birds, now you know, hey, if I get a cat, this is my guy. And if I get a bird, I'm going, I'm going here. And, uh, you know, play to their strengths and weaknesses, because otherwise you're just going to pay for marginal work. And I'll tell you, because I've made the mistake, is make sure that those mounts are actually relevant and recent. <laughs> there's there's uh, getting to see, see some people work. Some of those mom and pop taxidermists out there have mounts that are older or and they've kind of gone downhill with their skill and and making sure that you're watching for you've got a pile of customer stuff in there and if there's not a pile of customer stuff in there it's i i that'd be a red flag for me but that and uh yeah have them talk you through their process yeah now what exactly do you do how do you do this how do you operate and if they're not willing to talk you through their process that's a huge red flag for me you know, um, yeah. but I like to incorporate, I like to include my clients uh, in the process. So I send pictures out. Hey, what are your thoughts on this? Because it's all about you. You know, I, when I became a taxidermist, uh, one of the reasons I became a taxidermist was because I didn't like what I was, the experience I was getting or even the quality. And so I thought, well, what don't I like about taxidermy? I wrote everything down. I was like, all right, there's my business model. I'm going to do opposite of all that. And so, you know, someone comes in, it's like, okay, this is exactly from start to finish how I do everything. You know, you're going to get pictures and tons of communication uh, on your critter. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm shaving that mannequin and putting in the musculature, I'm not mounting them until you've seen the pictures and you say, yep, I like that. You know, I've, I've, I've never had that. Never had that experience. <laughs> no one has, and I've had a couple buddies told me I was crazy because it does take time to do it. But if you do it that way, you're almost—I mean—you're as close to guaranteed as humanly possible of all your clients saying, "I absolutely love my critter." Yeah, I like. That. And that's what it's all about. I mean, I what last summer? Last summer, I did a, uh, a private museum where I restored a 103-year-old polar bear. And I mean, it'd been handed down for generations and doing it that way. And they were just like, oh my God, I love this. I love this. And now it's going to last even longer, you know, in doing it that way. They're like, I can't believe this. This is great. I'm like, yeah, that, that's what you, you should want. And you, I mean, you're paying for this. You pay good money for taxidermy. You should have a positive experience. And at the end of the day, that critter should come out exactly like you want him or her to be. Yeah. You know, so go go visit those taxidermists and talk to them about their process. You know, and if they won't explain it to you, me personally, I'd turn and run. If they're like, oh, I'm just going to mount them up, you know, with, with whatever you say you wanted, nah, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. That's a little bit of a gray area. I've had that happen before. And uh, Mount came out with the wrong pose, and the guy's like, well, that's what you said you wanted. No, it's not. You know, so if they won't communicate with you or tell you exactly how they do things, that's that's a red flag for guys. 
Yeah, I got a bear rug with one ear going one way and the other ear going the other way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure why that is the case, but <laughs> that's the way it is forever. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, fill a truckload of money and have them fixed, but you're not going to want to. <laughs> so. No, no. But anyway, Michael, uh, pleasure talking with you, and I appreciate you uh, sharing that and and helping educate. That's good stuff. Well, thanks for having me on, Clint. I appreciate it, and I, I definitely like your uh, your podcast. I've listened to quite a few, and uh, I've been hunting for over thirty what thirty something years now, and uh, I still learn stuff from that website or that your podcast. So cool, I appreciate that. You know, it's you, you can always learn more. So yeah. I think you're doing a great job, and uh, hopefully, folks out there, no matter their experience, are paying attention because. You know, that's, that's what it's all about is sharing that knowledge and, and trying to help each other out as, as sportsmen and women. Right outside of this one church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.